Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Kroll. I am your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the Final Four. The road will end there. And for the record, this show will not be going anywhere after the Final Four. We will still be talking all things college basketball throughout the transfer portal, throughout the coaching carousel, which is just about done, but not quite done. We know the big moves. We spoke about them last week. Rick Pitino going to St. John's. Ed Cooley going to Georgetown. But Penn State is still looking for a head coach. Texas Tech is still looking for a head coach. Maybe we get another big move down the line. But the reason why, when I started the show, I said, until the end of the Final Four, is because this is the goal. Like, when we started doing the show, when the season started, I was always trying to figure out who could get to Houston, who is good enough to win four games, win a regional, and get to the Final Four, and we have our answer. And the thing that makes this tournament and just the sport of college basketball so great is we have four teams, in my opinion, that will be heading to Houston that have a legitimate chance to win two games and to win the whole thing. And I'm not someone that always says that. But this is a pretty bizarre Final Four, not based on how good the teams are per se, but based on who the teams are. UConn, they're the one outlier. I would consider them a blue blood. They have more national championships in the last two decades than Kansas, than Indiana, like a lot of other really good blue blood programs that we would throw into that category. So UConn, they're a huge brand. Uh, and Dan Hurley has done a great job with the Huskies. So that is a school with a huge fan base that I'm happy to see in Houston. But we have Miami. We have uh, San Diego State. We have Florida Atlantic. And these are all three really good basketball teams that, honestly, we shouldn't be shocked that they're here. It's just when you see them together all to uh, in the Final Four in Houston, it just makes you think like, wow. Who could have ever expected this? Florida Atlantic had not won an NCAA tournament game in their program's history prior to 10 days ago when they beat Memphis in the opening round of the Big Dance. You have San Diego State, who has been one of the best, most underrated, well-run programs over the course of the last decade. But unfortunately, they just haven't had that huge March moment, especially under Brian Dutcher. He was another coach that is really good, has had a lot of regular season success, but we were waiting for him to have that one deep NCAA tournament run. And he was another guy that didn't have a tournament win on his resume prior to the start of this year's NCAA tournament, but now he has four and his Aztecs are going to the final four. We have Jim Laranega who made a final four a pretty long time ago in 2006. And how about the symmetry there? George Mason, obviously, the biggest and most notable upset win of their magical final four run back then was beating Jim Calhoun and a loaded UConn team. And now the Huskies are going to have a chance to get some revenge. But the question is, can Jim Laranega slay the UConn dragon again? Because the Huskies right now are the odds on favorite to cut down the nets and win two games in Houston. But I'll say this as great and as dominant as UConn has looked, I don't think they're a given to win this NCAA tournament. I really do believe each and every one of the other three teams have a legitimate shot, but you have to give Dan Hurley and the UConn Huskies a lot of credit as well. We're going to get into thoughts uh, on all four of these teams throughout the show, but it's great to have UConn back in the final four. It's great to have them back in the big East. And 
that was a little bit of a turning point, I think, for the Big East Conference as a whole, right after the pandemic, when they added UConn, they added a really good coach in Dan Hurley. And since then, look who else they've added. Chaka Smart to Marquette, Sean Miller to Xavier. We look at this offseason with Patino coming to St. John's and Ed Cooley uh, moving in conference to go to Georgetown. But the college basketball season, even when before the Final Four is over, we still have so many things happening on the outside. We have a ton of news in the transfer portal. We have a ton of news uh, on the coaching carousel. I know a lot of the big jobs have already been filled, but there are two other Power Six schools right now that are going to be looking for a new head coach in Penn State and Texas Tech. So we'll see what hires those schools make. But we are down to four teams. And the thing about the NCAA tournament, I love this event so much. It's my favorite sporting event of the year, is it is the definition of expect the unexpected, especially this year when throughout the season we were all talking about how there just wasn't one dominant team that everyone was going to pick to win it all. We saw on Friday night just how vulnerable both Alabama and Houston looked. But this is the first Final Four ever without a number one, two, or three seed. And I also want to give some credit to Heat Check CBB on Twitter. The Final Four doesn't feature a single consensus top 30 recruit. The highest ranked recruits in this Final Four, four of them are from UConn, Donovan Klingon, Samson Johnson, Jordan Hawkins, and Andre Jackson. They were all top 50 recruits at one point in their career. And then Harlan Beverly from Miami, who's one of their uh, second or third uh, players off the bench, he's a former top 100 recruit as well. So there is a theme to all of these teams that are going to be heading to Houston for the Final Four this week. And I think overall, it is good for college basketball. And I like the state where we're in right now. And I know some people might think I'm a little bit crazy because we don't have the brand names. Like when you compare this Final Four to last year's when we had Duke and North Carolina and Kansas and Villanova, those are the blue bloods. Those are going to attract a lot of TV ratings. I totally understand that. But at the same time, I do like the fact that in order to win in college basketball, it's just not as easy as just recruiting a couple one and dones and just having a lot of talented freshmen. Like that is not the way college basketball works in the year 2023. And even over the course of the past five to 10 years, the common theme is experience wins in the tournament and having the freshman players it could work, but you need more. You need some veteran experience as well. And for a lot of the Blue Bloods, like that's the way they recruit. And that's why we're seeing teams like Miami and Florida Atlantic and San Diego State in this position. Their coaches are really good. They've taken advantage of the transfer portal. They've taken advantage of NIL. And that is how we have four Final Four teams heading to Houston that, again, are really good basketball teams. I think any of the four teams heading to Houston this week could win the whole thing. And it is not a fluke that any of them got there. Miami had the toughest path of anyone in the tournament. They, it was literally the hardest path they could have gotten. They had number 12 seed Drake. They had number four seed Indiana. They had number one seed Houston. They had number two seed Texas and they beat all of them. So they deserve to be here. Florida Atlantic, they only lost three games all year. They were underseeded in my opinion should not have been a nine seed san diego state is another one they should not have been a five seed they won the mountain west regular season and conference tournament that's a league that had four bids into the big dance the aztecs got underseeded and uconn they were a top five team in kempom in the net and they get a four seed i know their resume wasn't perfect but we are seeing why in this tournament uconn has been one of the best and premier teams in the country throughout the entire season. So I have some thoughts on each one of the final four teams. We're going to get into that, the road and how they got there. And I just think it's so cool that each of these three teams, I'm going to throw UConn out of the equation and we'll, we'll obviously get into them and the job Dan Hurley has done, but they've had a lot of success in college basketball, right? They have multiple national championships over the course of the last two decades. But what a moment for San Diego State University. What a moment for Florida Atlantic University. What a moment for the University of Miami. Each one of these three teams will be heading to the Final Four for the first time in program history. And if you are a fan of any team, it really does give you hope that your team could get there one day. Because it's not worth it if you're a college basketball fan and you know your team just doesn't have a shot. And it's funny because in in uh, 2020, right after 
the season was postponed early and the tournament was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The rule was announced that transfers could now play immediately at their next destination. They don't have to sit out a year like they used to. And that only uh, parlayed or emphasized the trend of mid-major players transferring up to power six schools. And a lot of people thought that would just leave these mid-major programs for dead because they're losing all of their top guys to the power six schools, especially with NIL, knowing that they could get paid now. And some of the mid-majors just don't have the money or the resources to compete with that. And it doesn't matter what school you are. Florida Atlantic literally had no basketball history prior to this tournament. They, their program started in 1988. Uh, they only made the NCAA tournament once as a 15 seed in 2002. They literally haven't been back to the tournament since. And now they are just two wins away from a national freaking championship. Are you kidding me? Florida Atlantic picked fifth in Conference USA before the season. What a story that is. And I think it's really cool also. There are only five coaches in college basketball right now that are active in coaching that have won a national championship before. John Calipari at Kentucky. He wins it in 2012. Tony Bennett at Virginia. He wins it in 2019. Bill Self at Kansas. He wins it last year. He wins one in 2008 as well. Scott Drew at Baylor. He wins it in 2021. And then, of course, you have the legendary Tom Izzo who won a national championship in 2000 at Michigan State. Those are the only five coaches in the country that have won a national championship. And there will be four other coaches heading to Houston this weekend that have never won a national championship, that have never, or Jim Laranega is the only one that has been to a Final Four back in the day with George Mason, but they didn't win a national championship back then either. So Dan Hurley, Brian Dutcher, Dusty May, and Jim Laranega, one of those four coaches will win a national championship for the first time in their career, and that is what makes this sport so good, is out of nowhere, we could have these guys and we could have these stories, and March is made for big moments. It it changes people's lives, and one of these four coaches' lives are about to change, and we know they've changed a lot already just by getting their teams there. So congratulations to each one of the final four teams. I have thoughts on all four of them, their journey, how they got there, and we're going to get into that right now. So the first team I wanted to talk about was actually the first team that secured their bid to the Final Four on Saturday. I was actually there at Madison Square Garden for the East Regional Final, and I saw the Florida Atlantic Owls beat Kansas State to advance to their first Final Four in program history. And I have so many thoughts on this FAU team. What a story they are. And I'll start off by saying this, right? You guys know I love college basketball. I watch so many games throughout the year, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on each and every one of these teams. And going into the tournament with FAU, I knew they were really good, right? This team won Conference USA, both the regular season and tournament title. They won over 30 games. They only lost three times. And we are all seeing by now, like Conference USA is not your average mid-major league. They have, in addition to FAU, two other teams that are going to be playing in the final four of the NIT in North Texas and UAB. And both those teams have some high major players. And both those teams, I think if they would have gotten into the big dance, could have won a game or two. But Florida Atlantic dominated that conference from start to finish. And I almost felt like throughout this tournament, I felt this way. I almost feel bad that I didn't watch more of them because this team is so fun to watch. And I think every team in college basketball should look at the way Dusty May, their head coach, built this roster with two dominant bigs that could go to war on the glass in the paint in Vlad Golden and uh, Giancarlo Rosado. Both those guys had major impacts on why FAU is in this position today. Golden had the best game he's had in an FAU uniform on Saturday against Kansas State at the most opportune time. He finishes with 14 and 13, and that was only the second double-double of his career after this kid has struggled for the majority of the tournament. The other thing that Dusty May deserves a lot of credit for is uh, adding guys transferring down a level. Golden is one of them. He actually played for Chris Beard at Texas Tech two years ago, but he transferred down to FAU. One of their top shooters, Greenlee, he's a transfer from the Big Ten. He played at Minnesota, so he is clearly very capable. May brought him in. And then 
off the bench, they brought in a former top 100 recruit from UConn, Jalen Gaffney. You have a former top 100 recruit who played at UConn coming off your bench. That's how you know you're a really good basketball team. And the crazy thing about FAU is some of their other top players, Dusty May just recruited and developed. Uh, John L. Davis, a kid from Gary, Indiana. He's been in the program for a few years now. He actually won Conference USA Sixth Man of the Year this year. He's since moved into the starting lineup, but he has been awesome in this tournament. Elijah Martin, the guy that a lot of people are going to remember for trying to throw down that ridiculous dunk in the final seconds against Fairleigh Dickinson when that game was clearly wrapped up. I know not a lot of people are going to like him for that, but he, in my opinion, could be an NBA player. He took over the game against Kansas State on Saturday, had a couple really nice shots, had a couple really nice dunks. I'm a huge fan of him. I think he is just athletic, bouncy. Like he is a stud. Nick or Nick, Nick Boyd, he was the one that hit the clutch game-winning layup in the first round to beat Memphis. And that's the other thing about the NCAA tournament. And this applies to the University of Miami as well in their first round game. I guess it's just a Florida thing. But both FAU and Memphis were on the ropes in their opening first round game of the NCAA tournament. FAU, they're playing against Memphis. They really couldn't make a shot for the majority of the night, but they just find a way to keep the game close, keep the game close. And all of a sudden they force a clutch turnover at the perfect time, just under 10 seconds to play. Boyd hits the game winning layup. FAU wins it. In their Sweet 16 game against Tennessee, the Owls were trailing early in the second half, but Michael Forrest, another guy off the bench, he steps up. That's actually Dusty May's first recruit that he brought into this FAU program when he took the job about four years ago. Now he comes up clutch with four big time free throws to wrap the game for FAU uh, against Tennessee and also against Kansas state. He had some big free throws as well uh, to put FAU in a really good position to win. So FAU, their team is built It's basically two big men that could dominate and bang in the paint. And then everyone else on the team are these quick, fast-paced athletic guards that could shoot the basketball. And they're a really tough team to guard. And Dusty May, it's so interesting because he has done a great job at FAU. And I feel like a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, he should leave. He should leave. He should just get a bag and get another job. The thing about this FAU team that's so interesting to me is they're young. Like, they have a chance to bring everyone back next year. And if you're Dusty May, why wouldn't you come back and live in Boca Raton for another year? And if you have another successful season for FAU, you could really get any job of your choice. You could go to North Carolina if things don't work out with Hubert Davis. You could go back to Indiana if things don't work out with Mike Woodson. Like if Dusty May has another really successful year next year, which I assume he would with everyone capable of coming back. And I also understand this is the world of the NIL. It's the world of the transfer portal. It's not a guarantee that anyone is going to be coming back, but watching and being around this FAU team for the past two days, who wouldn't want to play here? Like, like seriously, it's in Boca. You play for a great coach that loves his players and genuinely cares for them. I mean, this program, the stock is on the rise and Dusty May, he is going to be one of the best coaches in college basketball, if not already, because what a story he has been. What a story this FAU team has been. And the crazy thing, too, also, they really should have won that game against Kansas State on Saturday by 10-plus points. The only reason why Kansas State was able to hang around in that game was FAU was turning the ball over. And that's the thing about FAU also. They haven't really played a perfect game yet in this tournament, but they still find ways to win. Like, that is the wild part about this. In Against Memphis, they couldn't really make a shot. They just hang in and find a way to win. Against Tennessee, in the first half, they couldn't really make a shot. But all of a sudden, they get hot in the second half. They find a way to win. And against Kansas State, they were the better team for the majority of that game. But it let the Wildcats hang around because of the turnovers. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, FAU is in the Final Four for the first time in program history And this is why we love college basketball. And I'll say it again, as a fan who loves this sport, who spends a lot of his weekends and a lot of his days during the week watching this sport, I feel terrible that I didn't pay more attention and I didn't get to watch this FAU team more because they are phenomenal. They remind me a lot of the 2013 Wichita State Shockers. And I'm sure this comparison has been used a lot around the people that cover this sport. I'm not trying to say at all I'm the one 
that first thought of this comparison. But that 2013 Wichita State team, they played in the Missouri Valley. I feel like not everyone really knew just exactly how good they were throughout the season. But then you watch them in the NCAA tournament and you say, this is no fluke. This team is the real deal. And I know when a lot of people turn on their TV on Saturday night to watch the Final Four and they see Florida Atlantic, that's not going to be a team a lot of people are going to be expecting to play. They, they're expecting to see the Blue Bloods. They're expecting to see teams like UConn, a team like Texas, a power six team. But FAU is no fluke. They're one of the best teams in the country. They deserve to be here. And it's wild that they were just this close to being knocked out in the first round of the NCAA tournament against Memphis. They had to force a clutch turnover, hit a clutch layup in order to win that game. But somehow, someway they did. And here we are. But this team is unbelievable. They're so fun to play. They're so fun to watch play. And Dusty May, their head coach, deserves a ton of credit. And by the way, they are now 11-1 in games decided by five points or less after not winning a game in that category throughout last season. They literally could not win a game decided by five or less last season. They were 0-8. So Dusty May, that is all coaching. Shout out to him. And if I was any team looking for a head coach, I would throw the absolute brink truck at this guy because just watching him, just watching how much his players love him, this guy is the real deal. And I'm not someone that just hypes up a coach based on a small sample size, but everything that they did during the regular season, going into Florida and winning, that was a thing Dusty May said in his post-game press conference. He was asked, was there a moment in particular that you realized this FAU team was going to be the real deal. And he said there were a few, but the two that stuck out to him were going on the road to Gainesville and beating a very good Florida Gators team. And also they scrimmaged a D3 team, Nova Southeastern in Florida. And that's one of the best D3 teams out there. And they won that game. And he said, after seeing those two results, he knew this team could be the real deal. They are the real deal. So congratulations to Dusty May, John L. Davis, Elijah Martin, Nick Boyd, Vladislav Golden, and the FAU Owls for finding a way to win against Kansas State, for finding a way to beat Tennessee and going to the Final Four for the first time in program history. What a team, what a story, and this is why we love March Madness. Moving on to the next team I wanted to talk about that clinched a berth into the Final Four, and this is actually a team that won on Sunday, but I wanted to talk about them because – They'll be playing FAU on Saturday, and this is just such an awesome story. Just like FAU, I wanted to say congratulations to Coach Brian Dutcher and the San Diego State Aztecs for clinching the first Final Four in program history, but also the first Final Four in the history of the Mountain West. And when I think about San Diego State basketball, I think about one of the best and most organized and just most well-run programs in the country that we've seen over the course of the last decade or two. And there are very few fan bases, I think, that deserve this more than the Aztec Nation and, and everything they saw this past weekend. Because I remember, as clear as day, in 2020, I thought San Diego State was good enough to win a national championship. They had an NBA guard in Malachi Flynn. They had shooters all around him and Jordan Shackle, who's playing in the NBA right now. Matt Mitchell, who's playing overseas. They had a really good big man in Yanni Wetzel. A.J. Fagan. They even had some leftovers, guys that are still at SDSU that will be playing in the Final Four this weekend, like Nathan Mensa and A.G. Arope. Uh, they have a lot of those same guys that return. Adam Seiko, who played a big part in uh, Sunday's win. So I wanted to say congratulations to the Aztecs. And it's crazy because Brian Dutcher, he was an assistant coach under Steve Fisher, the legendary Aztecs and former Michigan coach, for 27 years. Brian Dutcher helped recruit the Fab Five to Michigan. That's how long he's been coaching basketball. And there was a, a, a moment there that a lot of people weren't sure if Brian Dutcher would ever get the opportunity to become a head coach. But Steve Fisher, he retired after the 2017 season, and he felt comfortable doing that because he felt comfortable and confident in giving – a guy like Brian Dutcher, the keys to this program. And my God, has he done just a phenomenal job since he's taken over. This was actually his fourth NCAA tournament since becoming the head coach of the Aztecs. And I mentioned this at the top, but going into this big dance, he had zero NCAA tournament wins 
on his resume. And he finally got that monkey off his back. They beat Charleston in a tough, very close game in the opening round. They then blow out Furman. And I remember watching that game against Furman. I said to myself, are they going to beat Alabama? I don't know. But can they? Absolutely. And we saw on Friday night, what a performance by the Aztecs. And I feel like the other thing about this Final Four that makes it so wild, we spoke a little bit about this with FAU, is like the Aztecs' best player, Matt Bradley, who last year, when San Diego State lost in the opening round of the Big Dance to Creighton, Matt Bradley, him last, like the Aztecs would just solely rely on Matt Bradley last year. If he was on and if he was making shots, the Aztecs would win. If he was off and he was missing shots, the Aztecs would lose. It's as simple as that. And that is no longer the case because Matt Bradley has really not played well or at least up to his full potential, anything close to that so far in this NCAA tournament. And he he struggled. He's been a little bit off of his game. I'll give you his exact numbers. So yesterday against Creighton, he finishes the game with only two points. He only plays 20 minutes. He goes one of eight from the field. In the previous game against Alabama, he only plays 19 minutes. He has only six points and shoots two of nine from the field. So in San Diego State's last two tournament games, he shot combined three of 17 with eight points. And he didn't even play that great against Charleston or Furman. Like, yeah, he had, he played all right against Charleston. He had 17. But against Furman, a game the Aztecs dominated, a really good Paladins team, Bradley only shot three of 10 from the field and had 10 points. So you're asking, Zach, how did the Aztecs win yesterday? And how did they beat Alabama on Friday? The answer, Darian Trammell, the transfer from Seattle. And this is another reason why this tournament is just so good. Trammell was actually one of the first players to commit to a new school in last year's transfer portal cycle. And uh, Dutcher wanted to take some of that pressure off Matt Bradley. He didn't want the ex- the only reason why the Aztecs won or lost a game to be Bradley. And Trammell has been phenomenal in this tournament. He only played in front of about a thousand fans in that gym at the University of Seattle last year. And now he's making a big impact for the San Diego State Aztecs who are now Final Four bound, and Tramiel scored 21 points against Alabama on Friday. He scored 12 points against Creighton yesterday, including the free throw that put the Aztecs up one. Probably, no, definitely the most important free throw in the history of San Diego State basketball, hit by Darion Tramiel, and the Aztecs are Final Four bound. It's, it's unfortunate for Creighton because I think this team was so good. They had a chance with their personnel, with their talent, to go to a final four and to win a national championship. But I don't think the refs were the reason why San Diego state won yesterday and Creighton lost. Was it a call that could have gone either way? Absolutely. But contact was made. And the real reason Creighton lost yesterday was because they shot two of 19 from the field. They couldn't execute. Kalkbrunner missed a a ton of easy laps. And I think I said from the field, I meant to say two of 19 from three did the blue Jays shoot yesterday. That's not going to get the job done in a tournament game. Just like Brandon Miller shooting three of 19 from the field against the Aztecs in the first game. Like that's a big reason why Alabama lost. And we have to give a lot of credit to San Diego state's defense. This is an elite unit, probably the best remaining defensive unit left in the tournament. And they are just two wins away from a national championship. And Brian Dutcher, I'm just so happy for him. I'm I'm so happy for the San Diego state program because they deserved it. Like the Aztecs have just suffered some brutal, brutal losses in the NCAA tournament over the course of the last few years. They lost that heartbreaking game to Creighton when they're up eight with a minute left in the opening round last year. Two years ago, they just drew an awful matchup against Syracuse where they didn't know how to attack the zone. I mentioned uh, Brian Dutcher's first year as a head coach. They actually played Houston uh, before we really knew just how good and how special Kelvin Sampson and this Houston program would be. They lost a very tight contested game in the opening round against the Cougars. And I am just a huge fan of this Aztec program. They've now won eight games in a row. They're nine and one in their last 10 games. And it's crazy because the Aztecs lost a game in late February at Boise State. That's a very tough place to play. But since February 3rd, the Aztecs have only lost one game. Like since the Super Bowl, the Aztecs have only lost once which is really, really impressive and shows you just how great of a game planner and how great of a coach Brian Dutcher is. The other guy I wanted to give a shout-out to that played really well for the Aztecs yesterday 
was Lamont Butler. He's kind of taken the role of the San Diego State lead ball handler. And I've just been really impressed with how control he's been and his game. Like, he doesn't turn the ball over. He scored 18 points yesterday to be San Diego State's leading scorer. Very efficient. 8 of 11 from the field and 2 of 2 from 3. He played a phenomenal game yesterday. I also love how Coach Dutcher has used the transfer portal to his advantage, bringing in a guy like Jaden Ledee, bringing in a guy like Micah Parrish, bringing in uh, Matt Bradley, who was a transfer, bringing in Trammell, who was a transfer, like Brian Dutcher, just like a lot of these other very successful coaches uh, in in this tournament that are going to be going to the Final Four. They've used the transfer portal to their advantage. The Aztecs are an elite defensive team. They've gotten just enough offense to find a way to survive in advance. And in the month of March, that is all you need to do. So I know that when a lot of people watch the game on Saturday, SDSU against FAU, the Aztecs against the Owls, pretty ironic uh, matchup there dating back to history. I'm sure a lot of you guys saw that tweet uh, about the Aztecs and the Owls. But, wow, San Diego State basketball, this program has had a lot of success in the regular season. They've had some Sweet 16s. They've had some tournament runs, but they've never been to the Final Four. And the way they won that game yesterday, I know it was a controversial call that really could have gone either way, but there was contact made on the shot. It clearly altered it. And when you look at the way the game turned out, I I just don't think Creighton played very well. I don't think you could blame the refs. There are a lot of games, there are a lot of moments that you could blame the refs. I don't think this was one of them. Congratulations to Brian Dutcher and the Aztecs to getting to their first Final Four in program history. And just something else. I'm very happy for the city of San Diego as well. I know they got screwed losing the San Diego Chargers. And really, since they've left, the city of San Diego has gotten a little bit of a bump, a little bit of energy as a sports city. We saw the Padres making it all the way to the NLCS last year. I think they have a really good chance to win a World Series this year. San Diego State basketball has been really good for a while now, but we've been waiting for them to have that one breakthrough moment in the NCAA tournament. And we finally saw that. So congratulations to the Aztecs. We will see you in Houston for the Final Four. So I wanted to talk a little bit about UConn up next, as they will be the third team heading to the Final Four after their dominant Elite Eight victory over Gonzaga. And when I say dominant, the Zags were pretty competitive in the beginning of that game. UConn really controlled things, but there was one play right as the half was ending. UConn had the ball. They were up by 10, and... All of a sudden, the ball, or excuse me, they were up by four with about 10 seconds left. And the there's a loose ball on the floor. All of a sudden, uh, people are scrambling around for it. And Andre Jackson, the guy that has been known for his great hustle and his great 50-50 plays throughout the season, he is somewhere on the court where he just has no business being. But he's there, of course, because he always hustles. He always finds a way to get involved in the play. And he picks up a loose ball. He hits Jordan Hawkins for a three. And UConn never really looked back from there. That three put them up by seven. Next thing you know, at the beginning of the second half, Drew Timmy picked up a couple fouls that might have been a little bit cheap, but hey, the rest called it. Nothing you could do. Fouls are called, and UConn really runs away with, with this thing in the second half, and they end up dominating the Gonzaga Bulldogs and winning that game by a pretty large margin. And I have to give Dan Hurley a lot of credit, right, because When he left the University of Rhode Island, a couple things. One, Rhode Island, he had a pretty good run there. You know, he was there for six years, and his last two years, he not only made the NCAA tournament, but he won an NCAA tournament game in 2017. He won an NCAA tournament game against Trey Young in Oklahoma in 2018. And the other thing that's very important to remember in this equation is that UConn was not really UConn back then when Danny Hurley took the job. They were chilling in the American Athletic Conference against teams that they really had no business playing, that their fan base had no business in playing against. Like, they were not historical rivals by any means. They're playing in the American Athletic Conference tournament in a pretty small, quiet gym in Texas. UConn did not belong in the AAC. And the last few years of the Kevin Ollie era, we know how bad they went. They, They were pretty ugly there uh, in stores, Connecticut. So they bring in Coach Hurley, and it took them a little bit of time, right? UConn didn't make the NCAA tournament until uh, 2021, which was his third season at UConn. It took him a little bit of time. And even when he first got to the NCAA tournament, not all the Husky fans were that thrilled with him considering the last two years before this year, UConn suffered some pretty embarrassing 
First round NCAA tournament loss was getting run off the floor by Mark Turgeon in Maryland and getting run off the floor by New Mexico State last year in a 5-12 game. But this year, UConn is back with a vengeance, and it's also crazy that their biggest test so far of the NCAA tournament came against Rick Patino and Iona when the Gales actually held a one-point halftime lead over the Huskies. But we know what UConn did in the second half. They really ran away with it. They beat up St. Mary's pretty good. I know there was an injury to Alex Dukas, one of their better shooters in that game. But I still feel in Albany, regardless, UConn was going to win that game. And we've seen what the Huskies have done over the course of the last two games in Vegas, beating up Arkansas, beating up Gonzaga, two very good teams, uh, two very good coaches that have had success in the NCAA tournament. And there's no doubt about it that UConn will enter Houston, Texas as the favorite to cut down the Nets and win the whole thing. And I mentioned this earlier in the show, I'll say it again, but this is the first ever Final Four without a one, two, or three seed. And I know UConn was a four seed. They were severely underseeded. They were really good across all the analytical numbers and the advanced metrics. And when you watch UConn, more importantly, especially early in the season and late in the season, they had that little funk in the middle of Big East play. But there have been many times this season where you've watched UConn and you, t- and you say to yourself, this is legitimately the best team in the country, especially when they're at their best and when they're peaking. And we've seen UConn play over the course of the last few games, like they played early on in the season in November, in December, when many people, including myself, were convinced that they were the best team in college basketball. And credit to Dan Hurley for getting his team to play at their best at the most opportune time. I know a lot of UConn fans are going to compare this team to the 2004 team. I know our guy, Aaron Torres, who's very excited. He's a UConn alum. He's pumped up for his Huskies. He made that comparison as well with the 2004 team. They suffered some injuries along the way, but really started uh, peaking and hitting their stride at the perfect time uh, late in that season. And they ended up winning a national championship. UConn is only two more games away from doing that. And this team has all the ingredients. Adama Sanogo, a guy who I've been a little bit hard on. I'm not saying he's not a really good player. He obviously is, but I always wanted to see him play at an elite level in the biggest moments. And after not really doing that last year, he's been able to do that in a big way this year. He's playing the best basketball of his career. Jordan Hawkins has shot the ball great in this tournament, including that big shot at the end of the first half uh, to really, in my opinion, seal that game over Gonzaga. The Zags never really stood a chance after he hit that shot. Hawkins finished the game with 20 points. And then Andre Jackson is just an absurd player. Look at the stat line on Saturday against Gonzaga. Eight points, nine rebounds, ten assists. The dude is just absurd. He's a winning player. He makes all the winning plays. He's a phenomenal passer. And Danny Hurley has even figured out what to do when teams start sagging off of him on the perimeter, on the three-point line. Uh, Hurley deserves a lot of credit for making that adjustment. A lot of teams were just forcing Jackson to take that shot early in the season. And UConn, I mean, going back to the Big East, in my opinion, could be a turning point for their program and really the Big East Conference as a whole. Having the Huskies back at Madison Square Garden for the Big East Tournament, having them play against St. John's and Georgetown, hopefully when those two programs are back up and running and ready to go with their new head coaches. Having UConn play in big games against Villanova, even against some of the Midwest teams that aren't traditional Big East schools like Marquette, like Xavier, like Creighton. We know that UConn and Providence fans cannot stand each other. So the Huskies, they proved something this past week. They're on a mission. And Dan Hurley, a guy who started his coaching career at Wagner College in Staten Island, goes to Rhode Island after two pretty successful years there. He is now just two wins away from winning his first national championship. We know his dad and just how much he's done for the game of basketball. His brother, Bobby, obviously a D1 Power 6 head coach at Arizona State. They made the tournament this year, won a game. The Hurley family is just a great basketball family. And I'm really happy for Dan because he's done a great job since taking over this UConn program. It hasn't been easy, but this Husky team is the real deal. And the way they're playing right now, it's hard to pick anyone to beat them. I know any of the three teams playing in the final four this weekend are going to have a legitimate shot to win two games. They got here for a reason. They're that good. They're that impressive. But this UConn Husky team, man, they're on a mission And there are a lot of similarities. We mentioned the 2004 team, but also the 2011 UConn team that won the national championship. 
So I wanted to give a shout out to this UConn fan uh, for this tweet at UConn Punnett on Twitter, P-U-N-E-E-T. So 2011 UConn had an undefeated non-conference schedule. They had the Big East leading scorer in Kemba Walker. They won 14 Big East games combined in the regular season and tournament. They also won the West region to make the final four with no one and two seeds. So they were no one and two seeds in the final four that year in 2011. And we know this is the first final four ever without a one, two or three seed there. 2023 UConn, you make the comparison. They had an undefeated non-conference schedule, just like that 2011 team. They had the Big East leading scorer in Jordan Hawkins, just like that 2011 team did with Kemba. They won 14 combined Big East regular season and tournament games. And they won the West region to make the final four without a one or two seed. So there are a lot of similarities. I also mentioned it at the top. The Huskies will have an opportunity to finally get some payback on Jim Laranega after he led the 2006 George Mason Patriots to a shocking upset victory over UConn in the Elite Eight back in 2006. So there are obviously a lot of stakes uh, for this game. And the Huskies, the one team that will be heading to the Final Four this week that a lot of college basketball fans are used to seeing on the biggest stage. My key for UConn going into this Final Four, and it's going to sound cliche because many people will say this is a big reason why teams win or lose or have success or don't in the biggest games in college basketball, but point guard play. Tristan Newton, in my opinion, is super boomer bust. Like when he's good and making shots, he could be very helpful. And this UConn team could be really good. But when he's not and he's turning the ball over, that's when this UConn team could get into a little bit of trouble. And the thing that makes it this team unique also is they have like other facilitators. Andre Jackson could really have some success in that role, but they have other guys like Hawkins who could create offense. They have, Caraban, who is just such a useful player. Sonogo, obviously. You have the depth with Klingon coming off the bench. Even Naheem Aline, the transfer from Virginia Tech, he's been giving them something a little bit in this tournament. So the UConn Huskies, they're loaded. They are by far and away the most naturally talented team. They are uh, the team that has four of the only five top 100 recruits that will be playing in this tournament. Not that is a huge deal whatsoever, but they have the natural talent advantage. They've looked better than any team we've seen in this tournament so far. At the end of the day, though, I want to see what this team does in a really close game down the stretch because that is how I think you could beat this Husky team, especially a team like FAU or Miami, and even San Diego State, I throw into this category too. Like They've won some close games in the tournament. UConn hasn't even faced that, and I don't know if it's sustainable to just blow out team after team after team when you're playing in the big dance, that would be my only small concern if I had any for this UConn team that they just haven't really played a close game in the, t- in the tournament yet. And when things get tight, I'm curious to see how they respond, but they may not even go playing a close game in order to win this tournament. That's how dominant they've been so far. Uh, what a season they've had. What a run this has been on uh, for them in this tournament. So shout out to Den Hurley and the Huskies for clinching their first final four bid since they won the national championship back in 2014. The last team we have to talk about from yesterday that secured their first Final Four berth in program history, of course, is Jim Laranega and the Miami Hurricanes. And this Miami team gives me a lot of the same feelings and vibes to the team they had last year that made it to the Elite Eight. Ultimately, they didn't end up going to the Final Four. They got knocked out by Kansas. But Jim Laranega, he's had a little bit of a renaissance. If you remember... He had some success his first few years at Miami, right? He made two Sweet 16s, one in 2013. He made another one in 2016. But then they got hit with the FBI investigation, and that really affected their recruiting in a big way. And after making the NCAA tournament in 2018, they actually got upset uh, against Loyola Chicago. And by the way, I spoke about this a little bit earlier in the show, about just how like narrow and, and tight the margins are in this tournament. Miami was down against Drake in their first NCAA tournament game, uh, they were trailing for the majority of the game. And they ended that contest on a 15-1 to run to knock out Drake and to move on into the round of 32. And kind of just like FAU, it was that first game that Miami really needed to win in order to get some confidence and really go on this run uh, to the Final Four where they will now be playing in Houston on Saturday against UConn. And... They missed the NCAA tournament in 2019. 
if the tournament happens in 2020, they weren't going to make it. It obviously got postponed. They missed it again in 2021. But last year, they did have a nice core group of guys. You know, Charlie Moore, experienced, transfer from DePaul. Tam McGusty, he's been around the program for a while. Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, they bring these guys in. And even though they made the Elite Eight last year, it was a great year as a number 10 seed they made it. This year, they had an even better regular season. And a lot of that had to do with two ads they made in the transfer portal. Of course, the common theme we are seeing from all four of these Final Four teams, the transfer portal, it is making a major, major impact in today's version of college basketball. And if you are not involved, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to have success. So Miami adds Nigel Pack from Kansas State and Norchad Omir from Arkansas Little Rock. But the main reason how they got these guys was because of Booster John Ruiz, of course, the CEO of LifeWallet. And Miami, on the men's and women's side, have kind of been the poster child model of NIL because they are paying these athletes an insane amount of money. The numbers even went public at one point. If you remember, when Nigel Pack first committed to Miami last offseason, the number was released, which was not a good idea by John Ruiz. But then Isaiah Wong was like, F that. If, if I just brought this team to the Elite Eight, if we're recruiting a, a random transfer from Kansas State who had nothing to do with us making the Elite Eight last year, if I'm not going to earn myself an NIL deal, I'm just going to hit the transfer portal. And I remember when that happened, I'm like, man, this really might not work out well for this Miami program. NIL is a great thing that every student athlete deserves the opportunity to participate in, but this is the bad side of it. And it could affect your team and your team chemistry in a negative way. But as a matter of fact, Isaiah Wong actually ended up staying at Miami. He got an NIL deal of his own. And I'm really impressed with the chemistry and the connectiveness that this group has. They love playing for Jim Laranega. He's an older coach in his 70s that you get the sense like he doesn't really do a ton, but he lets his guys go. His guys love playing for him. And NIL hasn't been a problem or a distraction at all in this locker room throughout the season. And now they're going to the final four. And the thing is also, like, they have a lot of different guys that could step up. And the game yesterday was kind of bizarre. They were down 13 points with about 12 minutes left in the second half. And Texas was really controlling things. I honestly was pretty confident that Texas was going to close things out and win that game. But Miami finishes the game on a 37-17 to 17 run over the course of the final 12 minutes and 46 seconds. They don't even make a three in the second half and still find a way to win. They outscore Texas 51-36 to 36 in the second half after going into the halftime locker room at the break with an eight-point deficit. And Jordan Miller... The transfer from George Mason, ironically the same place that Jim Laranaga came from, he scores 27 points, goes uh, 7 of 7 from the field, perfect. 13 of 13 from the free throw line. Just absolutely ridiculous. What a performance from him. He puts up 27. Each of Miami's other uh, four starters were in double-digit scoring-wise as well. You had Wuga Poplar. Having the game of his life. I remember watching Miami in the Elite Eight against Kansas last year. They got blown out in that game. They had a lot of foul trouble. And I remember watching Wuga saying to myself, man, like I don't know if this guy is ready to be on the floor in this big of a game. But he was big time for the Hurricanes yesterday. He had 16 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. Also hit a number of really tough shots. He hit a 3, the only one he attempted. So he was really good. Pack had 15 after hitting 7 threes and scoring... Uh, just an absurd amount, 26 points against Houston. And then you also had Isaiah Wong hitting a number of big shots as well. He finished the game for Miami with 14 points and then Omir with 11 and 9. And the thing about this Miami team also, they fit together so well. I know they don't have a ton of size, like they don't have like a natural seven-footer, but Omir, if you remember, he got hurt in the ACC semifinals against Duke and there were some serious questions about if he was going to be able to come back to this Miami team in time for the NCAA tournament. But then right uh, before that first round game against Drake, he practiced for the first time that week. And in Miami's first two NCAA tournament games in Albany last week, he had a, uh, I'll give you the exact number right now, but he had a combined 31 rebounds in those two games against Drake and Indiana. And then In the two victories Miami had over the Texas schools this past weekend, he had a combined 22 rebounds. So, Omir, he has a combined 
53 rebounds in four games in this tournament for Miami. The transfer from Arkansas Little Rock has been absolutely brilliant. Jordan Miller, he's so skilled. He could score the ball from the perimeter as well. And it just shows you, like, when you have guards that could create and make plays in the NCAA tournament, you're always going to have a chance to win. And this Miami team, they were the best team in the ACC throughout the regular season. I always thought that eventually their defense or lack thereof would catch up to them, and it hasn't yet. And the fact that they were able to hang in, show their toughness, and win yesterday, it was really impressive. I'll be honest with you guys, I wasn't completely shocked they were able to beat Houston. I always thought they had the potential to outscore them in that game. Houston, we didn't know if Sasser was 100%. The Cougars struggled in their opening tournament game against Northern Kentucky. The Cougars struggled in their second tournament game in the first half, especially against Auburn. And Miami really took it to them really throughout the entire game on Friday night in Kansas City. So shout out to the Miami Hurricanes, Jim Laranega, to the Elite Eight for the second consecutive season. And he has slayed the UConn Dragon before. He's done it back in 2006. So I'm really looking forward to this matchup. And as bad as the ACC has been, this is now their third Final Four team in the last two years. So they're having success in the tournament. Jim Laranega, it's hard not to root for him. He's a funny guy dancing around, doing the old man dance in the locker room after the game. And Miami showed a lot of balls. They showed a lot of toughness yesterday. I don't think there were a ton of people that thought they were capable of winning that game and coming back in the fashion they did. And the school that has really embraced NIL and paying their athletes a a lot of money to participate in NIL. Nigel Pack even said that it is helpful that at least they know it's only one company that they have to do work for. Like there are a couple teams throughout the country where they just have each player has a number of different responsibilities for a number of different companies and promoting it and marketing it. That's not Nigel Pack. That's not this Miami team. They are now going to the final four for the first time in program history. Jim Laranega has now led both George Mason and Miami to the final four. That is something really not easy to do. So shout out to the hurricanes. I know they have a lot of passionate fans. That was impressive. The fact that it was mostly Texas fans in that building in Kansas city yesterday and Miami was able to, to still win two games this weekend, and they will be heading to the Final Four. Uh, Their guards are super dynamic. They showed a lot of toughness yesterday. I couldn't get enough of Wuga Poplar and Norshad Omir showing up for the Miami Hurricanes. What a game that was, and I'm really looking forward to both the games on Saturday with uh, FAU and San Diego State and UConn and Miami. But that's going to do it, guys, for this episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. It's always a good time with you guys breaking down the NCAA tournament, especially after what we've just seen, probably the craziest and most bizarre Final Four I've ever seen in terms of team names, but by no means is that bad for the coach, is that bad for the sport. I still think that these are four really good teams that in any year could have made the final four. It just so happened that this year they all did. And some of them aren't really the most recognizable brand recognition schools or top brand school wise. And they still find a way to to play in the final four. It's unbelievable. Great job by each four of these teams uh, to find their way in. And I can't wait for Saturday, but that'll do it for another episode of the college hoops daily podcast. I'll talk to you guys soon and uh, everyone have a great week.